Welcome to Tactical Breakdown. On today's episode, we're talking about active shooters. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown podcast on the Islet Network. Your number one resource for law enforcement training. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to spend some time with me. I'm completely honored and blown away by the love and support of this community. You guys are absolutely amazing. Today's episode uh, is another interesting conversation that I had, and this was with Marty Adcock. And Marty is a regional manager at Alert. If you're not familiar with Alert, it is the Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training Center based out of Texas State University. They were created in 2002 to address the need for active shooter response training to first responders. And so in this conversation, you're going to hear Marty and I talk about the benefits of cross-disciplinary training, integrated critical incident responses. Uh, We talk about a lot of different things in here, but again, it's all super important content for active shooter events that are taking place in the world right now. And so... Hopefully you guys are going to get something out of this. I appreciate you taking the time again and listening to this episode. We recorded this at the 2021 ILETA conference. Super excited to get back there this year in 2022 in St. Louis. Um, If you're an instructor in law enforcement and you haven't already considered uh, going to that conference, man, do I recommend that wholeheartedly Uh, and look forward to seeing you there if you do. Anyway, without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Marty and uh, get into it. Here we go. Hey everyone, Adam Kanakin here with ILET Network, sitting down with Marty Adcock here at the ILETA Conference in St. Louis. Marty, you're with Alert. You're down here. You're teaching this week also. Yes. What are, what do you what do you hear sharing with the instructors here this week? So, uh, got the opportunity to sit on an active shooter uh, panel the other day. Uh, a lot of really good conversation with a lot of a uh, lot of experience sitting at the table. Uh, it was great. Uh, but uh, our main focus was one for exposure here at the vendor show, and um, even more importantly was the opportunity to do our civilian response to active shooter event uh, course for uh, the officers attending the course here. And uh, That course is uh, the opportunity for these guys to go out and take lessons learned from past events and teach their citizens what they need to do in response to uh, an active attack event happening uh, at a location where they're at. So real quickly, I just want to give you a second to anybody who's watching this or listening to this right now, um, can you just explain briefly what alert is? Um, You're from Texas. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of agencies in the United States and obviously internationally that have never heard of you before. So can you can you share a little bit about what you guys do? So it's the Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training Center. Uh, we started back in uh, 2000, 2001, uh, and it was Hayes County Sheriff and San Marcos Police Department put some guys together and uh, literally uh, bought some munitions, pistols, and helmets and started traveling around the state doing active shooter training. Uh, about 2002, got our first grant uh, to go outside the state of Texas, and since then we've taken and added not only active shooter response, we've added our uh, first responder medical, uh, our air class, active attack integrated, where we integrate fire and EMS into the training. 
Uh, we've uh, partnered with the FBI in 2013, was named the National Standard Response uh, by the Department of Justice and the FBI, and uh, have been rolling out. We train in all 50 states. We train in all of our territories as well as in uh, several foreign nations. It's really interesting that you come down here and now you're sharing training with officers, with instructors to go back and share with civilians. Mm -hmm. Why was that so important to not just say, hey, we're gonna do more active shooter training, but this is something that you need to be pushing out to your communities. What, what was that that was the driving factor for you in that? So with the civilian response class, I mean, we, we can train law enforcement, we can train fire and we can train EMS all we would like, right? Uh, and that's reactive. It's reactive to an event that's, that's taken place. But if we train our citizens and talk to our citizens about this, we're actually being proactive. We're getting left of bang for them to be aware of their surroundings and maybe be able to avoid this whole situation altogether. Uh, or if they can't be left of bang and avoid the thing altogether, uh, you know, uh, at least deny this person access to them or prepare to defend yourself because of the proximity to the attacker. Yeah, no, I, I think it's fascinating. I think it's, I mean, I had the opportunity to sit down and, and chat a lot with the guys from SLC Squared here earlier, the Combat Hunter guys. Um, and obviously that's, that's, their, that's their thing, right? It's how do we train people to be aware of what's happening around you, yeah. right? Yeah. So that you can see, maybe you can't prevent it from coming, from happening, but at least you can see it and possibly react quicker or more effectively when it does happen. Yeah, with a plan. Uh, that's the whole thing, right? Not just react, but react with a plan because it's something that you've thought of. Uh, it's something that you've been trained in and you put into practice on a daily basis. Uh, you know, whether it's... Uh, uh, you know, carrying something to defend yourself uh, in a bag or on your person, uh, whether it's being aware when you walk into uh, a, a new structure of where the exits are at, uh, and be aware of the people coming in and around you. Uh, it's getting your head up out of the cell phone and being aware of your surroundings. That's, what, that's all it's about. Um, and uh, it's also an opportunity for first responders to go out and have a productive conversation with their citizens as opposed to reacting to a disaster that they have, a car accident that they've been in, their house on fire, uh, you know, a cardiac event where they've had to call EMS. It's a, it's a positive interaction between first responders and their citizens where they're giving them information that's gonna get them through a really, really bad day. You know, it's, I had a really interesting conversation a month or two ago. Uh, it revolved around the issues that agencies are having in, in connecting with their communities. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that got brought up was, why don't we have more officers, if you're on patrol and this is your zone, going to these communities, and especially if you have a, a major gathering center, a community center, a school, um, you know, a, a, anything, uh, you have the officer go there and, and walk through the building and first of all, one, walk through the building for their own understanding of, if I ever have to respond here, what's the layout, yeah. right? But during that, we, they know why they're there, which is that, but leveraging that opportunity to interact 
with the with your community there. Hey, how are things going? What can you share with me? Like things that are going on here. What do you, do you have any concerns? Do you have any questions? Um, do you guys have any? Do you guys need any resources? Here's resources that our agency has available to give you. What can we help you with? Taking 50 minutes to walk through a school that you've never been in before can accomplish so many things. And it's like it's like why aren't like I'm glad that you guys are starting to push that that communication aspect for officers to do that because I don't think that's happening enough. Yeah, I, I, I don't believe it is. And, I mean, I, and there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, uh, every office, every department short-staffed right now. Uh, a lot of them are running call to call to call. Uh, finding that time to go do that uh, is, uh, is difficult. Or just getting an officer that feels comfortable with going and engaging a citizen on that level may be uh, something uh, that's difficult. Uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate where I retired from. Uh, uh, I retired from uh, League City, Texas. It's in the uh, Houston Metroplex. And uh, uh, our chiefs there and, uh, and our city administration was very supportive. Uh, they required grace for every employee at the city. Uh, and we made it very much available and marketed it to the community itself. Uh, so uh, I can't even count the number of classes that some of our guys have gone out and done. Uh, and uh, what we saw as that engagement process continued was, uh, you know, more and more engagement from the community or requests from the community to come engage them on the topic. And not just that topic, but other topics. Uh, you know, so it, uh, it, it does open up a line of communication because it is a, a positive interaction and, uh, and those, are, uh, those are things we should be looking for. Some of the other things that would be uh, really good is uh, uh, talk to your schools and maybe incentivize. Uh, and I speak of schools, right, because schools is where uh, when most of us think of these events, we think that that's where it happens at the majority of the time. Statistically, it's not. It statistically happens more often in places of commerce. Uh, but that doesn't matter. Schools are where... Um, our most precious treasury is our children, right? Uh, so the opportunity to educate them and bring them up with this, uh, with this attitude of being aware of your surroundings is, uh, is going to grow a much more aware and much more uh, a society prepared to take care of themselves. Oh. And uh, so, uh, so one of the engagements you could have, another engagement that uh, I, I've heard of other agencies have is they engage the school and they do lunches for the officers. And, uh, you know, the officers come in and sit down with the kids and eat. And, uh, you know, to me, that, the, that kid that I'm looking for is that kid that's sitting at the table by himself, that kid that's isolated. Uh, the opportunity to engage that kid, and, uh, and uh, quite honestly, at, at really young ages, uh, when that kid's sitting with a police officer or a firefighter or, or a medic, that kid becomes very popular because, man, look, he's, he's hanging out with a police officer. So there's engagements there that we could be doing and we should be doing, uh, you know, and it's going to take uh, time to, to really push that out. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting paradigm for me right now. We're sitting down. We say active shooter. Officers, when they think active shooter training in their mind, they're like, all right, let's, you know, let's kid up. Let's go do some CQC. Yeah. But when we really get down to it, we're, we're talking at so much of a deeper level than just actions on, right? Like, yeah. 
there's so much more to active shooter than just what happens during that specific incident. It's what is the entire precursor yeah. that led up to it. And that's a much larger portion. And that's what we, I, I feel like that's what you guys are really trying to push is, is let's, let's, let's get ahead of this way before we ever have to go and, and deal with the situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, if we can get out ahead of this and prevent this as a whole, one, let's think of the number of lives we save, right? Yeah. I mean, that's huge. And let's think of the attacker, right? Instead of that attacker being housed in a prison system or uh, expired, uh, we could possibly intervene and have another productive member of society uh, as opposed to someone that is now known for uh, the horrible actions they took during one day. Uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, I think, it's, uh, I think it's important to get out there and talk about that in front of it. It's obviously important to prepare for it. Evil is what evil is. People are going to find ways to harm other people, and we have to prepare for that to stop that, and, and we should. Uh, but uh, the more time we can spend on the preventative side of it, uh, the less we're going to see these other incidents take place. Do you, when it comes to the collaborative, like, when an incident occurs, incident command, you guys have done a lot of work integrating EMS, fire, incident command. How does that model play out for you? What is the key components to that as far as you're concerned? So we have, when we look at it, we, we have three phases of every incident, right? Uh, you know, there's three phases of every incident. And, uh, you know, the first phase, when you're talking about it on a law enforcement fire EMS uh, level, uh, you have the uh, stop the killing phase, uh, which in all actuality, law enforcement's really, really good at doing. Uh, have been for a long time since Columbine. There's been some instances where they haven't been as good, uh, but in all actuality, law enforcement's pretty good at stopping the killing. Where we tend to have failures is the, the stopping the dying, uh, which is the next phase. Uh, we need to make that transition as quickly as possible. Uh, one of the things we are uh, as we're a part of Texas State University. We transitioned from the Hayes County Sheriff's Office and San Marcos Police Department over into Texas State University uh, years ago, uh, about 2004 or five. Uh, so we have a research component to it. Uh, Dr. Blair is the executive director of our program. And uh, uh, so there's a, a research component to it. And one of the things that we know based off that research component is 98.7% of the time, a shooter's a single shooter. So uh, we need to start making that transition as quickly as possible for those that are wounded and, and dying because of blood loss uh, that can be prevented, those deaths that can be prevented. We need to make that transition into stopping the dying as quickly as possible. And then the next step of this whole process is rapid evacuation to definitive medical care. Do we need to go and search the rest of this building? At some point, yes, we do. But there's what if, there's what if there's something going on down there. But what we know is that we have people here that are bleeding. We have people here that are dying. And no matter how good our medical skills are or any medic's medical skills are, once we get fire and EMS in there in a rescue task force model, the only thing that's going to save a person that's had high-speed metal pass through their person from, uh, you know, uh, around is being on a, an operating table with a skilled doctor taking care of that. So that's those three phases, stop the killing, stop the dying, and then rapid evacuation, definitive medical care. Uh, so uh, traditionally, we've been very good at stopping the killing, right? 
What we haven't been as good at is making that transition to stopping the dying and rapid uh, uh, evacuation because as law enforcement pre professionals, we have a tendency to want to continue to look for other victims. We know that 50% of the time, we either take them into custody or we engage them in a gunfight and we have them isolated or we've neutralized them. Uh, or the other 50% of the time, they've already left the scene. And if there is more than one attacker, which is very few times, 1.3% of the time, right? Uh, yeah, if there are more than one attacker, they tend to stay together acting as one. So usually if we've isolated one, we've isolated both if there are two. So we need to start really working on that. And so what we've done as far as the training goes for that is, is we've really emphasized uh, kind of a fire department model. And uh, uh, with fire, they do things a little differently than we do. They get on scene, they set up ICS, and then they start you know, getting prepared to attack the fire. With us, we arrive on scene and we start building up to ICS, but we can start that with the first person on scene. The first person on scene gives a good LCAN, a location, condition, action, and needs, and I have command because they have the most information about what's happening than anybody else right now. Um, and then start, as we progress and get more officers on scene, transferring command out to someone that is detached from what's happening inside. But we're building incident command immediately with that first officer on scene. That's really the idea. Uh, so by doing that, now we're starting to manage the assets. Instead of self-deployment of officers to every corner of the building, we're getting them to come to one location so that we can manage those assets. Uh, because what we see a lot of times is you know, six, seven, eight ghost shooters on almost every incident because, uh, you know, the initial officer pulled up, went through the south door of the building. Second officer comes to the north door. Witnesses are coming out. They give a good description, but it's going to be a little bit different probably than the description of the officer that went through the south door, right? So now what does dispatch think? Well, we have two shooters. If somebody comes to the east, somebody comes to the west, now we have three and four shooters. So if we can take and push them through to one location, maybe set people up and uh, set up perimeter positions, but drive those officers through, uh, you know, maybe a single bridge point if possible so that we can manage those assets, uh, we'll be much better off. Because one of the things we tend to do is we, we tend to, uh, you know, bleed off assets and wind up with, you know, one officer response, which, I'm good with initially and getting guys there and getting them in and pushing and, and taking the fight to a bad guy. But once that fight's over with, I really want two and three and four working together, pushing down and clearing hallways, hopefully finding wounded if there are any new wounded and getting them out as quickly as possible. One guy has a really difficult time doing that. So it's just the management of the assets and setting up incident command with that first officer on scene. Yeah, it's always interesting the first time some, like, when you explain building clearances to a new officer or to a new a new soldier, they don't. I don't think they realize the amount of assets that it would take to properly secure, clear, and secure a building. Yeah, it could take. Uh, you could take a company to clear a school. Yeah, and if we were to do it on on a, in a in a military operation, we say if we're doing this, we're doing it this way because that's the safest way to do it. But now we're asking, an, we're asking a handful of officers 
to basically go actions on the same thing. It's 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 crazy what we're asking them to do, and they're willing to do it. So it, I th- I love this because you're giving them and you're giving them the skill sets to say, hey, here's what you need to do, right? Here's what we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna show you what you need to do to get in there, get the job done. But the day isn't over at that point. Correct. Day's not over. That's just it. Just got started. Oh yeah. Right. And I and I think and. It, Obviously, we know from a physiological perspective, from an emotional perspective, the second that threat is down and the officer goes, oh, we can't let them get into that cycle of, you know, uh, SNS backlash where they're sitting there and now, now they're potentially dealing with all of that while they still have a job to do. And yeah. how, how do you guys combat that in, with what you guys train? So, so what we talk about with them uh, a lot uh, as we do this is, is, yeah, we get in there, we maybe engage the bad guy, we put the bad guy down, or we get there and there is no bad guy, he's gone. Because, again, and we know, based off statistics, 50% of the time they are gone. Uh, but either way, uh, we've hit this point now where we work off what we call a driving force. And that driving force could be screaming, gunfire, uh, you know, or it could be uh, wounded personnel on the floor. That's a driving force. We have to work towards that. And those driving forces change, right? Uh, So if there is active gunfire and we push to that gunfire and put the bad guy down, all right, we also have the next driving force. And the next driving force would be securing that bad guy. And then we have another driving force, and that driving force would be taking care of any wounded here in there. So it is constantly changing. Uh, I, I hate saying moving the goalpost. It's not mm. moving the goalpost. It's identifying that these goalposts, these goalposts exist and that each one of them has to be addressed. Uh, you know, uh, but what happens a lot of times is you'll see officers, they'll engage. And when they engage uh, and that's over with, uh, medical's not what we do. Man, that's what EMS does. We need to continue to search this building. Well, the obvious next driving force, if I'm not hearing anything driving me deeper into this structure, is to address the wounded that we have here around us. There may be other wounded down there, and I really want to get to them, but there's only one of me or maybe two of me, okay? But I know I can do something for these people right here. So what I do is management of assets, I get enough in here to help me deal with this, and then I start pushing more assets down, clearing deeper, so that I can start taking these out. Because now what we've done is got rescue task force set up, and you know the old model of uh, hazmat models that we used to talk about. Uh, you know NFPA 3000 came out, which uh, you know we helped with, and it's uh, really driving uh, fire and EMS to get involved in the response to this situation. We're used to, they're not going to come in until you had a completely secured scene. We've now set it up more like a a hazmat type situation. There are hot zones, and if there is still active gunfire, that's a hot zone. We're not going to push unarmed EMS and fire personnel into that. But if the bad guy is down and we have a secured area right here, right now, and we can put police officers with those firefighters and those medics, we can bring them into a warm zone with security. Now they can start processing and doing a little bit better medical care because they train at a lot more than police officers do. And they can start evacuating these people with security. How much does 
an officer's understanding of triage play into their decision-making process? I think it's getting a lot better uh, because medical's becoming uh, more standard training in law enforcement. Uh, I can tell you when I started, it didn't. Uh, but uh, I think now they're starting to look at people and realize that, okay, you know, yeah, I've got a guy that's taken around in the chest. I've got an occlusive dressing on it. Uh, he seems to be doing well right now. Uh, and I've got this other guy over here with a leg wound. Uh, it's a major hemorrhage. And, you know, even two tourniquets really hasn't stopped the blood flow. That's my priority. I think they're starting to realize what their priorities are, mm. uh, those major uh, uncontrollable hemorrhages uh, from, uh, you know, extremities uh, are something that has to be addressed right now. Uh, is this sucking chest wound going to eventually cause this person to expire? Yes, but that's going to take a little while if we've properly dressed it and addressed it. Uh, is that massive uncontrolled hemorrhaging? Uh, uh, an issue, yes, and it needs to be addressed right now, right now. And I've done everything I'm capable of doing. It's not working, so I need to get this person out. So I think their ability to identify and triage properly is getting much better. Yeah. No, I, it's interesting. Like I said before we hit record here, I, the last time we talked active shooter and we did a, kind of a roundtable, that was kind of a core component was the triage. Um, what are officers learning, right? Whether whether they should they all should all officers be trained T triple C or T tri C or whatever it is that you T E C C T E C C. There's do we have to start driving officers towards that? Going through like one of the suggestions that was made during that roundtable that we had was an officer should could spend a day in an emergency room, right? And obviously that's that's kind of an impossibility due to budgetary constraints and whatever, but how amazing would it be if every officer got to see, this is what an actual bullet wound looks like. This yeah. is what, and, and not to not to just be like, to, we don't want to freak people out. That's not what our goal is. It's here's the reality of what you're going to see. And, and maybe you're going to be like, oh, that's not at all what I expected. Most people think gunshot wound and they think, oh, whatever. It's like, they don't realize they go up to it like I don't see anything and you see this little almost pin sized hole in someone's chest that's just kind of burping little bits of blood and they they don't understand that that's what the gunshot wound looks like on an entry point and or think to roll them and look for that for the exit more massive right usually exit point correct Uh, yeah yeah should we drive law enforcement to TCCC uh, or TCC training? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, and quite honestly, I mean, I've used it more on major accident scenes when mm-hmm. I was still working as a police officer or uh, accidental, accidental shootings uh, where someone accidentally, you know, had a, a gun go off because they were carrying it in their waistband without a holster or, you know, something to that effect. Uh, I've dealt with it more there than I have uh, elsewhere. Uh, I, I literally uh, know of people that I've put tourniquets on that are alive today, or buddy, my, buddies of mine have put tourniquets on that are alive today. Uh, I put an occlusive dressing on uh, an accidental gunshot. Uh, and uh, a lot of that was learned from the military, but it was uh, also learned from uh, self-aid buddy aid classes that we started back in the early 2000s uh, through the Texas Tactical Police Officers Association. Uh, you know, and uh, 
uh, Tim's guys coming in, uh, the team medics coming in and doing a lot of training. Uh, that training, anything that any SWAT training needs to at some point have that lesson plan rewritten, rewritten and then put out into a patrol package. Uh, and I say that simply because day in and day out, patrol officers are going to do a lot more than a SWAT officer does any day and every day. Uh, they're going to, you know, they're going to clear more buildings. They're going to make entry through more doors. Uh, they're going to deal with more gunshot wound victims than SWAT officers are going to deal with. But we tend to spend all of our money on SWAT, and we should. But we should have an expectation that those SWAT officers take and transition that into a patrol tactics class of some kind and push it out to the patrol officers. Uh, but, you know, uh, going back to the medical, yes, absolutely, we should be pushing them to it. Uh, there are things that we can do that keep people here with us, breathing in and out, and getting to see their children and their grandchildren another day. With the course that you're running here this week, what are the components that you want the instructors here to be taking away from it? Like, what is what are those core things that you're like, if you leave here with nothing else, take this with you? So the course that we're running is, again, it's the Christ class, civilian response to active shooter event. And what I want to take away from it, more so than anything, is uh, the core concepts of the class, which is avoid, deny, defend. Uh, it's, it's simple. It's something that's easy to remember, much like stop, drop, and roll. Uh, but avoid, deny, defend, uh, you know, or run, hide, fight, whichever one you want to call it. Uh, we really, uh, we started this program, the Avoid, Deny, Defend program, the Christ program in 2002, and then classes spun out, you know, from that. Um, but we chose those words very simply because they're active, mm. uh, not passive. Uh, there's nothing wrong with hide when we talk about run, hide, fight. What we have to do is we have to make people understand that hide is not a passive noun. It is active. We're talking about active hiding. Uh, that's the reason we call it denial, because we're going to, when we're denying something, we're actively denying some, someone access to us, or we found hardcover and deny their rounds access to us. So it's an active process with always the thought of trying to get back to avoiding this whole thing. Uh, you know, uh, run, again, I, I look at run, and I, I mean, although it's good and it's catchy, run, hide, fight, uh, you know, if it's not explained properly, run is reactive. Uh, avoid is something that's preemptive. We're mm. heads up, we're looking around for uh, anything that could cause us harm. Uh, we, we've all done it, walked through a parking lot and had the little hairs on the back, well, people that have hair, have the little hairs that stick up on the back of their neck, right? And uh, you know, uh, and, and you, you, you give it a wide berth. You walk around it. You avoid it altogether. Uh, that's what we want people to do. Let's stay heads up. Let's stay looking for what things that are going on out there and around us. Let's be aware of our surroundings. Let's avoid these things. If we can't avoid it because it is brought to us based off of where we're at, let's deny them access to us and, again, try to get back to avoiding it. And then uh, last but not least, if based off proximity, the attack happens and I'm right here right now, uh, then uh, I want you to defend yourself because you have every right to do so. And when you do, I want you to defend yourself with everything you have. It's bringing a, a lion's heart to the fight. Hmm. Marty, 
I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you sitting down, sharing your thoughts with me today on the podcast. Um, I know the other instructors here, they always look to you to, to see where you're going to be and where you're going to be teaching because of how dynamic of an instructor you are. So thank you for taking the time with us today and, and being here at this conference. Man, I thank you. I appreciate you sitting down with us. Uh, anytime we can get a chance to sit down and talk about this and, uh, and uh, make people aware of what, uh, what they can do and what they need to be doing, that's, that's what this is about. Yeah, brother. Well, I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you. Join the ILET network now. Go to ILET.network. That's I-L-E-T dot network.